Steve and Jean, thank you. Michelle? Good morning. It is good to be back. 75 verses. That's how many we've covered so far in the seven weeks uh, that we were together back during the summer. 75 verses, that was chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 5. So if you would please turn in your Bibles to chapter 4, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. 75 verses down, 49 to go. Just under 10 a week for these next five weeks. Don't get discouraged when we only get through three this morning. That's all we're going to get to. Ah, It really is good to be back. If you're using the Bible in the uh, chair back in front of you, it should be on page 954, by the way. Page 954. 1 Corinthians 4. I'm starting in verse 6. I'll read through verse 8. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself into a palace for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For... Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now you are full. Now ye are rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God you did reign, that we might also reign with you. That context does continue, but we don't have time to continue. So let's pause here to pray, and we'll begin. Lord, thank you for the morning, and thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts, please, as we do some review. Lord, uh, capture our minds' attention. My concern in any type of review is that it come across informational. That's not what I want, Lord, please. Bless our time together. Speak to our hearts. May we focus our attention on Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I actually did have a, uh, an opening video, but in the interest of time, I'm just concerned about uh, time this morning. 
Uh, so I'm going to forego that. Um, I like where we're starting off. I really like. It is a perfect startup to the remainder of this series. For seven weeks, we've been covering uh, the first 75 verses of 1 Corinthians uh, we'll finish up through chapter 6 in another five weeks. So it's a total of 12 weeks that we're together covering six, six chapters here. But I love our breaking point. We've been off for about seven weeks. As we come back this morning, look how verse 6 begins. The King James says, And these things, brethren... I have in a figure transferred to myself into a palace for your sakes. These things. What a perfect opportunity to stop and review where we've been. Because Paul is pointing back to what he's written. Not, not necessarily all the way back, though I'm going to take the liberty to go all the way back. But specifically, once he gets to chapter 3 and verse 5, up to chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul is pointing to that section of Scripture, which was weeks 6 and 7 of this series. Okay? I'm going all the way back to week 1. Because I I just want... Some of you who haven't been here every week, uh, some of you may have heard none of it. So it's good to just kind of know where we've been. So starting even before Paul began putting pen to paper, Corinth is a very wealthy city. Commerce, trade, they drive a very thriving economy. And the people are quite comfortable. Shipping is a big deal. People are coming from all over the world. There are people from various uh, ethnic and religious backgrounds in Corinth. The city's known for its immorality, Uh, in particular, sexual immorality was rampant in the city. Paul established the church in Corinth during his second missionary journey. And he was there for a year and a half preaching and teaching, and then he left to go to Ephesus. And he sent back Apollos. Apollos remained to preach and to care for the church after Paul. He was essentially the church's second pastor. As Paul's in Ephesus, he receives a visit from an official delegation from the church that uh, has questions about certain issues that are arising in the church, questions about uh, marriage and celibacy and divorce, Uh, questions about uh, eating meats offered to idols, questions about 
the role of women in worship, and the use of spiritual gifts, and in particular, tongues, orderliness in the worship service. He also receives information from an informant from the house of Chloe, chapter 1 identifies. We don't know exactly who it was. We know it was from Chloe's household who tells Paul that there are contentions and divisions within the church. So Paul takes this occasion because of the visit, because of the information he's received, to write to the church. Now this is actually a second letter. Paul wrote a first letter to the church that is lost. So this letter we're reading is the second letter Paul has written. We know it as 1 Corinthians. But he begins by addressing the divisions. Paul is concerned about the lack of unity in the church. There are contentions that have arisen. The visit he received, those men said nothing about these divisions, nothing about the contentions in the church. They just had questions about issues. Paul addresses the unity problem. The issues will come later. And from chapter 7 on, that's what Paul addresses. The questions. But in the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses the subject of unity. Sorry about that. That was my opening. Look at verse 10 of chapter 1, please. This is the title of my series, The Christ-Centered Church, a plea for unity. And in verse 10 of chapter 1, from the Steve Salvis perspective, now, from the Steve Salvis perspective, Verse 10 in chapter 1 is the key verse of these first six chapters. This is what Paul desires of the church. Verse 10, chapter 1. Now I beseech you, brethren, I plead with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul is urging the Christians at the church in Corinth to speak the same thing. Don't be divided. But instead be joined together in unity. What I love from this verse is the introduction to the letter. If you remember from chapter 1, as Paul makes his run up to verse 10, as Paul makes his approach to the plea for unity, 
nine times he points their attention to Jesus Christ. Nine times in nine verses, Paul mentions Jesus Christ and sounds like a broken record, but he wants to be sure they understand unity is in Christ. He needs to be your focus. That's where you need to be. It needs to be off your personal preferences and on Christ. Look at verse 12. Speak the same thing. Speak the same thing. Verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. So they were dividing themselves among the leadership. This church in Corinth, some said, I follow Paul. He was our first pastor. He led me to the Lord. My allegiance is to him. And others said, we like Apollos. We follow Apollos. He's our, he was uh, our second pastor. He's not the current pastor at the time they're receiving this letter. But they were so attracted to his dynamic preaching. The Bible describes him in Acts as a great orator, Apollos. They loved to hear him preach. They were drawn to that. So their allegiance was to Apollos. Others said, I follow Peter. These were a group of Christians who, who denied Paul's authority altogether. Paul wasn't one of the original disciples. Peter walked with Christ. We follow Peter. And then there was a fourth group saying, we follow Christ. We're better than all you. And it wasn't, it wasn't genuine. It was out of conceit and taking liberties in the process they weren't seeking they weren't seeking unity they were seeking to be among themselves only and continue to divide so verse 13 begins this way is christ divided I imagine the overwhelming majority, if not all of you, have a question uh, there. Is Christ divided? The King James is a question. ESV is definitely a question. NIV is a question. The only Bible I've seen that does not have a question is the Good News Bible. Uh, I have what's called a today's English version. It's called a Good News Bible at home. Uh, It's not a question. And the oldest commentaries agree. It's not a question. It's a statement. Christ is divided by your divisions, by your lack of unity, by your dividing yourselves into groups, you are dividing Christ. God forbid that ever be the case. God forbid.
when we're gathered together as a body of Christ, we are not separated by race. We're not separated by politics. We're not separated by personal preferences over music or preaching styles or secondary issues. We are united in Christ. And He is our focus. And when we're solely focused on Christ and the preaching and sharing of the gospel message, it overwhelms all of the unimportant stuff. Who cares what color the carpet is? That's unimportant. Look at verse 17 in chapter 1, continuing along. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. Look at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. <laughs> Remember the sum and the substance of the gospel is the cross of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross satisfies the penalty for our sin so that we can be saved. We want to point people to Christ. That's where our focus needs to be. We preach Christ here. Nothing else. We're pointing people's attention to Christ. Why? Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. Look down at verse 4. And my speech, my preaching was, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In our preaching, eloquence may win the mind. Remember this? Eloquence may win the mind. Humor may win affection. And an illustration may win the imagination. But only the message of Jesus Christ can win the heart. And that's why we preach Christ here. As we continued in, in weeks uh, three and four together, we talked about the causes of divisions within the church. We talked about self-centeredness. It's all about me. 
Pride divides. Selfishness divides. When it's all about what I want, it divides. The second cause was a quenching of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Not taking advantage of all that God wants us to know and all that the Holy Spirit wants to uh, reveal to us and has in store for us. We have the mind of Christ, Paul writes in chapter 2 and verse 16. Take advantage of that. And then in week 5, we talked about the four types of man. You remember this? There's the natural man, the one without the Spirit of God, the one who is unsaved, he's apart from Christ and has not experienced uh, the new birth. And then there's the carnal man. This is, this is the baby Christian, the newborn in the faith. He's still learning the foundational principles of the Christian faith, repentance of sin, faith in God, biblical doctrines. These are the things that are referred to as the milk of the word. And it's what new Christians need to grow in their faith. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That that milk gives me a, a taste of God's goodness and his grace so that I want more. I want more. And then there's the carnal, willful man. This is the the Christian who's no longer new in his faith, but who's still fleshly minded. He stirs up jealousies and contentions. He's not growing in his faith. There's a debate. If you remember, we talked about this. There's a debate in the evangelical church about whether this man is even saved and is even a Christian. And I gave you my opinion in regard to that. And then finally, there's the truly spiritual man, the the, uh, spiritually mature man, the one who's able to discern and to apply the word and who shows evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And the challenge that week was to examine yourself. Where am I on this list? If you're the natural man, you need Christ. You need to be saved. Are you saved today? Do you know him as your personal savior? If you're a newborn believer, continue to grow. Seek a mature Christian to grow with who will help you, disciple you, and grow you in the faith. And if you're mature, invest in others. It's the mature Christian who reaches to the unsaved, reaches to the lost to see them saved. It's a mature Christian who's pouring his life into baby Christians to see them mature. And a healthy church 
has all of this, by the way. A healthy church has every bit of this. A healthy church has someone who may not be saved but is seeking. What's going on? What's, what's, what's all this about? A healthy church has newborn believers. The healthy church has spiritually mature people. Can I remind you of something? This is not a continuum here. This is not the order of how things are supposed to go behind me. Okay? It's not from natural to carnal to carnal willful to mature. It's natural, step one, to newborn Christian, step two, to fully mature in Christ, step four. Step three is a detour. It's a detour. We want to keep you on the right road and the right path to growing and developing in Christ. Maturity is the goal. There's a responsibility on the part of the believer to practice the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer, Christian fellowship and separation from sin and serving others. And as we practice these disciplines, the Holy Spirit will do a work in you. God's promise in James chapter 4, verse 8, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. He will not run away. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Maturity happens here. And when maturity happens, unity happens. And then we get to chapter 3 and verse 5. And again, at chapter 4, verse 6, where we started, Paul said these things. Here... At chapter 3 and verse 5 is where Paul brings their attention. Paul says in uh, verses 6 through 9 of chapter 3, I'm like a farmer who plants a seed. Apollos is like a farmer who waters the seed. But God is the one who makes it grow. Apollos and I get none of the glory here. We're simply faithful in the planting and the watering. He says in verses 10 through 17 of chapter 3, I'm like a builder who laid a foundation. I'm not the foundation I didn't even build the foundation. I just laid it for you. The one that's already laid. Because there's no other foundation for the church apart from Christ. The foundation is solid. Apollos built on top of that foundation that was laid. And the quality of his work, the quality of my work, will be revealed. And he talked, by the way, about these three types of builders, the skillful or wise builder whose work endures by God's grace. His work is compared to gold and silver and precious stones, things that last 
His work is blessed by God. And he himself receives the reward. Then there's the unwise builder. In chapter 3, verse 15, the results of his work are temporal. They don't last. Although he himself is saved, his works don't last. And finally, there's the destroyer. That's the false teacher. The one who's in it for himself. He's not really saved, and he'll destroy the ministry, and ultimately God will destroy him. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, we've been entrusted to care. We've been entrusted by God to care for the church as servant stewards. God will judge our faithfulness. And Paul says, you've used our names as a party cry to divide yourselves. But Apollos and I are on the same team. You're supposed to be on the same team too. And we're your examples. So use us for your examples. And then suddenly we find ourselves at verse 6 of chapter 4, where we begin. See why I can only get three verses in before the Lord's Supper. And I still need to go a little faster. (laughs) Ah, let's see, where am I? Now, brothers, the NIV translates verse 6 this way. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. Do not go beyond what is written. Simply means obey the word. Oh, by the way, these were the questions I asked you to consider the last time we were together. Am I being faithful? Am I investing with the best? By the way, that second question is redundant. Obey the word. Not your own inclinations and worldly opinions. Paul says, revere the silence of the Bible as much as the declarations. This will keep you from being puffed up and keep you from dividing yourselves over petty differences. Obey the word, that's your standard. I really like I really like verse 7. There are three questions in verse 7. Here they are. Who made you different from anyone else? That's easy. The Lord did. That's easy. God did. Second question, and what do you have that you did not receive from God? Hmm, yeah. That's the one that makes you think, right? Well, um, nothing. And then finally, and if you did receive it from God, why do you boast, Corinthians, as if you had anything to do with what you were given? 
Habab, habab, habab. There's no response. There's no answer. That first question is easy to answer. The Lord made us all different. Uh, Yeah, I didn't have anything to do with it. You're right. Oh, yeah. Why do I boast? Pride is pointless. Humility is the only acceptable posture of a person in relation to the God who created you. Humility. And then look down, verse 8. And this leads us beautifully into the Lord's Supper. Now you are full. This is sarcasm. Now you are full. Now you're rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God that you did reign, so that we might also reign with you. Now you are full. Yeah, It's no longer necessary for you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're already full of your own self-righteousness. Now you're rich. The Corinthians, they're boasting in their wealth and their prosperity as if it proved their righteousness. Certainly, if God has blessed me with such riches, I must be pleasing him. Not taking into account their sin. It's the prosperity gospel mentality. And it's false. You have reigned as kings without us. You think you don't even need me anymore. And then Paul writes at the end of verse 8, And I would to God you did reign, that we might also reign with you. And it's in this moment when Paul writes these words, he's looking forward to the millennium. When believers will share in the glory of the Lord and reign with him for 1,000 years. It's Paul's proclamation, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, how I would love to reign with you. You think you reign, but I long for that day, Paul says, when it's actually true. And so, as as we look ahead to the Lord's coming and later to the marriage supper of the Lamb and the 1,000-year reign with Christ, we, this morning, we also look back at the death of Christ on the cross And we remember his sacrifice. And if you are a Christian, I invite you to join us in partaking of the Lord's Supper. In a moment we'll pray, and after we pray, uh, there are stations, as we've been doing uh, by custom the last several months when we observe the Lord's Supper. There are stations around the room. Just go to the nearest 
station, receive the elements and return to your seat, and we'll partake together. But let's now bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Lord, we have covered a lot in seven weeks over the summer. A lot in 75 verses. But oh, how I love to stop here at verse 8 this morning thinking about eternity. thinking about life beyond here. And as we, as we do that, we look back to why that is even possible for the Christian. <sighs> to be in your presence. Thank you for your blood that was shed. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for paying my debt. Thank you. Oh God, may we focus our attention on Christ. Do this in remembrance of me, you said. It's not just about Putting, partaking of bread, drinking grape juice. It's about remembering your sacrifice. So bless this time, and may we use it to examine ourselves before you. In Jesus' name. Amen.